Hello everyone, welcome to Drive-In Double Build, the weekly show where we pair two movies together and we talk about them. Today is an exciting day. Today, in celebration of Jaron Carpenter's The Thing's 40th birthday, we are doing a double bill of John Carpenter's classic film along with the 2011 prequel, remake, whatever you want to call it. We're going to talk about that. You know, this is this is an important day because not only is John Carpenter probably my favorite director, he's obviously the most influential for me. He has directed so many movies that I love, but we also get to talk about The Thing, which is one of my top five favorite movies. It's up there with Texas Chainsaw. It's up there with these other movies that I just, I love to death. And so The Thing was a movie I was always looking forward to get around. I noticed that the anniversary was coming up, so I decided, you know, why not? Like, let's just, let's do it right now. Why wait? When I can talk, I could talk about this movie for hours, and I'm going to try not to. Uh, If you are watching this on YouTube, thank you for being here. If you are listening to this on a podcast app, thank you for listening. Be sure to leave us a review. Be sure to subscribe so you know when the next episode comes. Like the video, share the video, subscribe to the channel, all that good stuff. And I guess I should say I'm going to try to not go too in-depth on the, the thing from 1982, John Carpenter's version, because uh, on the actual 40th anniversary, so this comes out... On a Thursday, the actual anniversary, I believe, is Saturday. I believe it's the 26th or the 24th. I think it's the 24th. Uh, I will be releasing a commentary track for the movie. And so, how is that going to work? I'm going to live stream it on Twitch. I'll send out, I'll tweet up if you want to watch live. Uh, I'll live stream it on Twitch. I'll have the movie playing. And as long as I don't get any sort of copyright notification, which sometimes could go either way, I'm not sure. Uh, If there's no copyright thing, I will upload that full video. The movie will be playing. I'll be there talking over it. And if, if I do get a copyright thing, then it will just be one of those things where I will just release, like, the audio. And you can just listen to it. And so... Yeah, I, I look forward to doing that. It'll be the first one. I try. I think I'm going to try to do like one a month maybe and just a movie that kind of connects to some of the things that we're talking about but I might not be able to fit into a regular show or to a mini soap and we'll just do a commentary track for it. So, without further ado, The Thing. You know, The Thing is one of those movies that has been, like, reviewed to death, right? It's one of those movies that everyone kind of loves. If you do a movie podcast, do a movie review stuff, there's a good chance that you're going to talk about it because that's just, it's just, that's just how iconic that this movie is. I'm sure all of the behind-the-scenes stuff that I mention, this won't, this won't be news to you. If you're, if you're a fan of this movie... If, you're, if you've done all the research that there is to do, like, I'm sure all the behind-the-scenes tidbits that I that I mentioned throughout the episode, like, you will have known. 
right? Because th this is just how iconic this movie is. It has been reviewed. It has been talked about to death. And yet, even still, I can't help but, like, want to talk about it. And it still, like, blows my mind when I meet people that, like, haven't seen the thing. And it's like, you gotta watch this. Like, you need to watch it. And I'll watch it with you because that's how much I fucking love it. I watch this movie all the time. And I... I, so I, I was first introduced to John Carpenter when I was in high school, and, you know, I watched Halloween, and I watched Escape from New York, and They Live, and Big Trouble in Little China, but it wasn't until I got, like, to college that I watched The Thing, and I remember, I remember there being, like, a snowstorm, and so they, like, canceled classes, and I was living on campus, and I sat down, and I watched thing and that's quite possibly like the perfect environment right like it was cold out no one wanted to go outside I just I put the movie on it had always been like on my list of like I need to watch this I need to watch this I need to get around to this and so I just hey what better time than right now and so I put it in and I watched it the snow's falling outside it was just quite possibly the perfect movie watching experience like there have been a lot of theater experiences that have kind of changed me or shaped who I am like as a film lover and as a someone that is like inspired by movies constantly like there's been tons of times in a theater where I've sat and been like this is insane I love this but as far as like at home viewing like I think the first time I saw like Reservoir Dogs and the first time that I saw, um, I don't know, that's the big one that I can think of, but this was, this is up there, like, this is just a life-changing viewing, like, it was, like, immediately, the thing kind of, you know, I had always loved horror movies, but this sort of gave me a new appreciation, like, for them, because I wasn't, now I wasn't just, like, watching them to kind of see, like, oh, well, what's, what are they gonna do, and, like, oh, like, am I gonna be scared, is this, like, what, like, now, after watching the thing, was when, I, the first time I kind of, like, became aware of, like, special effects, kind of, like, as a job, and, like, as that, like, these are the masterminds behind the things that you're seeing, and that, you know, they, they are just as much artists as they are, as, like, the directors are. So this was the first time that I kind of, like, became aware about, like, special effects and then seeking out movies with, like, tremendous special effects. So, like, after this movie, which with the effects done by Rob Boutine, and, you know, I, I sought out The Howling, and I sought out American Werewolf in London, and The Prowler, and this is kind of when I got around to the Friday the 13th franchise and was watching... All of these, like, phenomenal effects, even, like, The Walking Dead, where, like, was, that was a big deal on TV. And I was watching, you know, Greg Nicotero, Tom Savini, Rick Baker, uh, Winston Duke. Like, I was watching these people, like, that were just phenomenal effects artists, like, and were just, like, captivated by it. Like, it's one of the reasons that I love horror and that I love, specifically, like, this time in horror, like, late 70s, early 80s, into the 90s, like, this is, this is the golden era, because it's, the effects masters are almost the reason why you watch the movie, right, like, the name Rick Baker sells a movie to me just as much as the name John Carpenter, 
And so like that, this was the first time that I was kind of like getting into this and experiencing this and just being like blown away by what I was seeing on screen because it's not like, it's not like anything that I've ever seen before. And like, yeah, like obviously the, you can see, you can see some of the seams in these effects today, right? I mean, I still argue that there are scenes where you can't and that it is absolutely insane what they were able to achieve. But yeah, sure, like, knowing that during the scene where they're doing the defibrillator, that they hired a guy that was a double, double amputee to do that scene because his arms are getting, like, cut off. Like, knowing that, then rewatching, like, yeah, like, you kind of can see that stuff in there if you know what to look for. But it's also was, like, I couldn't fucking believe what I was seeing or that someone could do this but do it using props, do it using makeup, do it using practical things. And so that's when this is kind of the movie that taught me that, like, you know, if you want to make a horror movie, like, just learn how to do this shit. And, you know, Psycho Gorman and Stephen Kostansky was, like, another person that was, like, that that was, was kind of, like, the same deal, but obviously that I saw that movie much later than I saw this, where it was, you know, like, learn how to do these effects, like, and that was probably, like, one of the biggest things that I could, like, take away from this, which is that, you know, ha like, having an admiration for the effects and for the effects guys, like, it's crucial to loving the genre, but it's also, like, a practical thing that you can learn and you can do it and you can practice it over and over and over again until you perfect it and then start creating, like, your own kind of effects like this. And for me, that was kind of like, okay, well... That, to me, is almost more fascinating than trying to, like, write and direct the movie. Like, any asshole that loves movies has a script idea. But, like, being able to bring something like that to life, well, there's not going to be many people that can do that in a practical way. And so that was what I became, like, obsessed with and fascinated with as I moved on from this first viewing. So the thing had kind of, like, a, a troubled production history. So they started, like, they kind of tried getting the ball rolling in, like, the mid-70s. Uh, this is a remake of, like, a film from the 50s, which John Carpenter was a big fan of. And, in fact, like, that movie is playing in Halloween. And so they they originally talked to John Carpenter, but they, they just didn't really feel like he had the experience to, like, do this movie. So they talked to guys like Toby Hooper, who came on. <laughs> And the studio just didn't really like his ideas, like, for what he wanted to do with the movie. So he was fired, or they parted ways either way. So the project was kind of, like, put on hold after Toby Hooper leaves. And then, in 1979, a movie called Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, comes out and sort of reinvigorates, like, the want for Universal to make this movie. And so I guess in some ways you, you very well could say... The Thing is kind of an alien ripoff. It's very much... I think it's dealing with like a lot of similar things, but I, I do think the movies are like drastically different. But nevertheless, seeing how successful Alien was, Universal kind of kicked it into high gear to get a movie out, and then they rekindled their relationship with John Carpenter, who was now off of the success of... You know, he had Halloween, he had The Fog, he had Escape from New York under his belt... Like, he had kind of proven himself in the indie world 
and this was going to be his first movie like with a budget, like with a substantial budget to work with. So the movie ended up costing like $15 million. Almost $2 million of that goes to just the effects. Just the effects alone. And, you know, he's able to work with guys like Dean Cundy. He's able to work with Rob Boutine on the effects. And, you know, he worked with Kurt Russell on Escape from New York. And you know, he, he kind of like, Kurt Russell kind of helped him develop it. But he wasn't like signed on originally to be in the movie. Originally they looked at like... Clint Eastwood and those guys but this kind of movie is kind of like below them and so then it kind of they switched to um, you know like Nick Nolte, Jeff Bridges, Christopher Walken like they were looked at to play the role of McReady and they all kind of passed leading them leading Kurt Russell to sign on and so he was like he was John Carpenter had kind of made Kurt Russell into a movie star, and now he was getting ready to, like, sign on to this movie. And this movie was... that He was going to be, like, the draw, like, right? Like, he was the star. And, you know, like, John Carpenter's, like, big fear with this movie was that Universal was, was going to fuck it up, right? Like, they, they weren't going to like what he was doing. He kind of had, like, tremendous freedom on the movie, and he was concerned that at any time, like, Universal was going to step in and be like, hey, like, we don't like this. Change it. And, I mean, they, they do to an extent, but I think in the end, John Carpenter still kind of, like, gets his way. The studio was not a fan of the bleak ending. They made him shoot some endings that he just didn't really feel works. So at the last minute, they put in uh, the original ending with Childs and McGreedy, not neither of them knowing if the, the other is the thing. And I, I from what I read... John Carpenter wanted the movie to be called Who Goes There? And he, like, last minute had tried to get that name switched, but Universal wouldn't do it, so they just decided on the thing. The poster was changed last minute. and all, But, I mean, all in all, like, the movie is intact. And, you know, we'll get to this when we talk about the thing from 2011, but which Universal, like, literally fucking destroyed. Like, everything that John Carpenter was afraid was going to happen on his movie happened on that movie and that movie is a fucking mess i hate that movie and i think a lot of that has to do with the studio interference from universal which if there was any on this like maybe there was some bickering between john carpenter and them back back and forth but i think for the most part like the vision was intact i know john carpenter states like in the commentary for this movie that he originally wanted the opening of, like, the alien spaceship that contains the thing to bump into, like, the Universal logo, but they wouldn't do it, so instead we got, like, the title cards, which are the exact same font and style that was done in the original movie, and I think what we end up getting is a fucking masterpiece, is, a, is one of the greatest fucking movies ever made, and... You know, this movie came out the exact same weekend as Blade Runner. It was met, like, to critics who hated it. Like, didn't just, like, didn't just dislike it, but hated this fucking movie. It, it was referred to by one critic as the quintessential moron movie of the 80s. And, you know, for a while, this movie was kind of talked about as, like, oh, the, the effects occur, but the movie sucks. Right? It's the same way that we would talk about, like, 
oh, Hatchet 3, right? Like, that's how they were talking about this movie, where it was like, hey, the kills are really cool, but the movie's not very good. And that is just fucking wild to me, because I think... (laughs) I think this movie does something that no other movie has... that movies just don't really do, but yet it works. They do so much with very little, and... Like, it's very stripped down. It's very bare bones. Most movies would do this very drastically different. And I just, I don't think that it would work. And this movie is bone chilling. It's gory. It's fucking intense. It's thrilling. It's, it's everything that you could ever want in this kind of movie. In a just, like, phenomenal setting. And I just, I love this movie so much. And it's one of my top five, like, favorite movies. And it just is wild to me that it took a good decade, if not more, for people to come around and, like, appreciate this movie. And, like, I mean, like, good thing that they did, right? Because if this movie didn't get sort of cult status in the 90s, this is quite possibly one of those movies that, like, is forgotten about. And that you find some shitty VHS rip of, like on YouTube. Like this easily could have been like a body melt or the incredible the incredible melting man or something like something like that where like it's kind of one of these movies like one of these horror movies from a bygone era that wasn't really well liked when it came out, was kind of done dirty, but because of like VHS releases these movies exist and then a company like Vinegar Syndrome like releases them. Like this easily could have been the path for this movie. If A, John Carpenter wasn't who he was and is still, like, relevant and a big name, and if, like, and if this movie didn't gain the kind of cult status that it got going into the 2000s and the late 90s, like, very easily this could be a movie that no one talks about today. But instead, it is now, like, widely considered a classic movie. Not just in the horror genre, but in, like, just talking about movies in general. And it's just wild to me, absolutely wild to me, that nobody liked this when it came out. And I I guess it technically bombed, like it did not do as well as they were hoping. A lot of the thinking behind that is because it did come out like the same year as E.T. I think it came out like four weeks after E.T. And so people were like, oh, the fun-loving alien movie, E.T. Like, yeah, like that sounds fun. And then you get this which is just drastically different. And I think the studio kind of fucked themselves. Like, I don't think this is a summer blockbuster movie. I think this is a, is a movie you release like in October or November. And I think it would have done like a lot better if the, the ET craze dies down and then you release this, put it in theaters. I think it's a hit, but I think it was just a, a combination of just bad timing, bad luck, but at least it is remembered as the classic that it deserves to be. So after the opening credits, we get probably what is one of the greatest opening scenes of all time. You get this helicopter that is flying, and they are shooting this dog that is running away, or shooting at this dog that's running away, and you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea why they're shooting this dog, It's kind of like, is that what these people do? Do they shoot dogs for fun? Like, what the fuck is going on here? 
and they just open in the middle of everything, right? I think a movie today would not open this way. A, I don't think you would open a movie today with people shooting at a dog. I don't think that would fly very well. And I also think you would open a movie today, like, in a movie about a group of people that find an alien species. I I think it would open, like, in a lab, and, like, they would have some kind of idea that there was an alien species. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't see many movies opening in the middle of the action. Like, leaving the audience, like, so at a disadvantage where, like, you have no idea what's happening. And that's, that honestly, like, is in the movie's benefit because right from the very beginning, like, they're shooting at a dog. Why? Like, something is off. Something's not right. And I don't know what it could be. But I, I, I'm now on guard, which is kind of how, that's how the movie works best. Right? Like, if you're just constantly on guard of, like, what could be happening or what is around the next corner, that's how you should be watching this movie. Like, that is how it's going to be the most effective for you. And so I, I fucking love this opening scene. So then we've got the Americans. You've got Kurt Russell. You've got Wilford Brimley as Blair. You've got Keith David as Childs. You've got Norris, played by Charles Hallahan. You've got Peter Maloney as George. You got you got quite a good cast of people here. You've got these like this is one of the other things that I love about this movie is that we have absolutely no fucking idea who any of these people are. And we don't learn about them cuz we don't need to, right? Like we don't need a backstory to any of these guys. And I think a I mean, I know that a modern movie would do this because in the 2011 version, that's literally what they do. So, oh, these people need to have a backstory. They need to be sympathetic. And, like, this movie is just not about that, right? Like, I don't need to know if McGreedy has, like, a, a mother or a, sorry, a wife and child at home. I don't. Like, for this movie to work, I don't need to know that. And apparently, like, he came up, Kurt Russell came up with, like, a whole backstory to this character where he was, like, a, a vet. And he had this very traumatic thing happen. And that's kind of why he's closed off and shut down. And... That's what happened to him. And I apparently John Carpenter was like, that's great, but I'm not using any of that. And and very, very John Carpenter style of like, cool, I don't give a fuck. And I don't, I just don't think you need to know that much about these characters for the movie to work. Like, these are hardened men. They are shut off emotionally. They're shut off from the world. Like, I, I think just knowing that they are a part of this expedition says a lot about them because it takes a certain kind of person to agree to go on a kind of expedition like this. And so, like, it also, like, the movie is incredibly well-paced and all the information you need is there. It's told to you in a streamlined fashion and we kind of just, like, get on with the movie without bogging it too, down too much with, like, oh, we got now we got to learn about this guy. Or now we need to learn about... Keith David's character like we don't because the less we know about the characters in this movie the more the paranoia works because we're not going to be picking up on like oh well you know his his character wouldn't do that we literally don't know what their characters would do which is why the paranoia of like was well, he the thing is he the thing that's why that works because we don't know anything about him and in a I think in a modern movie they the studio would not trust the audience enough 
to be like, we don't, like, they would have one character that is definitively the good guy and the hero. And I don't think that Kurt Russell is that in the movie. I think he is a character that has to become the hero, but I don't think from the very get-go he's, like, the hero of the movie. He just kind of becomes it. And I think that is just perfect. And he doesn't, like, there's a, there's literally a scene where they are trying to decide who's going to be in charge. And the one guy was like, well, I'm not, I can't do it. And then so it kind of just, like, de facto goes to Kurt Russell. And that's perfect. Like, that is all, that's all I need, right? Because now we have, like, okay, well, you're kind of in charge. Obviously, like, he's Kurt Russell. He's the star of the movie. We know he's kind of going to be the hero or who the person we're going to end up rooting for. But there's at least a, a narrative reason as to why it becomes Kurt Russell rather than just, like, oh, just assume it's Kurt Russell because he's the star of the movie. And I think a modern movie would establish the hero from the very opening scene, would tell you way too much about them, and then, like, would just bog the movie down, trying to get you to believe that he's a hero, when I don't I don't need to believe that he's a hero. Like, I can see him be a hero. I don't need you to tell me over and over again that he's a hero. And so after... So they get, uh, after, you know, we kind of have have some small scenes with these guys. They're hanging out. They don't really, like, talk to each other. They don't seem, like, well-bonded. They, which, again, works for what is to come, right? Like, the fact that these guys aren't close and they're not, like, buddy-buddy and best friends helps with, like, the paranoia of I don't trust anyone. Because if they were, if they were all good friends, they were all best buds, like, this whole, like, well, I can't trust you, so we're going to lock you in the shed and, like, stay away from me because I can't trust that you are who you say you are. Like, that almost, it almost wouldn't be a thing because then you would be questioning, well, they're best friends. Like, why wouldn't he, why wouldn't they at least, like, attempt to be helping each other since they're such good friends? Well, this very much becomes a movie that's, like, every man from fucking self and I'm going to do what's best to take care of me and I'm going to try to make sure that I'm not the thing and that the thing doesn't get out of here. That's all I care about. I care about stopping the thing and making sure that I am not it. The rest of you can fuck off. Like, I don't care. And I think that is... <laughs> I, I think that's a reason why the movie didn't do very well because it's not... It's very bleak. It has a very bleak, like, view of humanity. And... It's just not... It's not your your typical like, balls-to-the-wall, like, action-fun-adventure summer blockbuster. And I think that kind of plays into why it didn't do very well. And so, after, you know, they have a run-in with the Norwegians, and they go back and they search the, the Norwegian base, and they find, like, frozen corpses, and they find the like the burned remains of like someone who has been kind of like kind of like joined together which looks great they bring that back to their base and the they do an autopsy and they find like no like these are normal like human organs and then we get probably what is the most graphic the most horrifying 
the scene that will stick with you the most. And it's the, the kennels. Like, it's the scene with the dogs. Right? Because, like, we saw the dog. They didn't shoot it. They didn't kill it. Now it's in this kennel. And you're just kind of like, okay. Because we, we cut to, we're in the kennels. I'm like, what's what's going on here? And I knew, like, not the first time I watched it, but this time around, I was looking for it because I knew that one of them was an animatronic. And I was trying to figure out if I could tell which one it is. I fucking could not. And because there's... If you are a squeamish individual, this is probably where the movie will lose you. Because the one of the dogs, which is so fucking lifelike and believable and incredibly well done... Its head starts to open as if it were a fucking banana, and these, like, cords or these fucking, like, tentacles or whatever start spewing out of it and, like, wrapping itself up in the dogs and, like, killing the dogs. And, like, these other dogs are biting at the fence trying to get out. And, you know, there's... The movie never really explains, like, what Kurt Russell and his team are doing here. Uh, I, I believe... If I'm right about this, I, I'll insert a clip here. I believe there's a TV cut of the movie that has a that has like a a narrator that explains that they're like testing dogs at like extreme temperatures to see like what their body does, and they can study that, and that will that will somehow give them like an insight into like humans and. Like, I, I don't know. I, I believe that that exists. I believe I've seen that clip somewhere. It's not in the original movie, but I think it's in, like, the TV edit because I think that was a lot of what they were getting in test screenings were like, well, why the fuck are they even there? And so I think they added that after the movie came out and didn't do very well. And if, if I'm right, like, I'll put a clip here. Clark, he's in charge of the dogs, doing a study on the effects of extreme cold on animal behavior. These men were commissioned by the United States National Science Institute to gather data concerning the physical and natural sciences on the continent of Antarctica. First girl darn week of winter. But I'm pretty sure they say that. But anyways, so th these dogs are... The thing is kind of... Like, we're kind of seeing its true form. It is this alien thing with, like, tentacles. And it's just, like, killing these dogs. And... So Childs comes with a flamethrower and he like burns the dog. And this is kind of where we learn that like fire, it doesn't like fire. It doesn't like extreme temperatures, right? It doesn't like the very cold and fire is, is kind of the way you can kill it. And so they, they do an autopsy on the dog and they reveal that like this thing has the ability to duplicate other living things like almost perfectly to the point where you would never be able to distinguish what is real and what isn't and that sets in the paranoia of how can i trust anyone that is around me and so th this kind of leads them to do a bit more digging and based on some of the information that they get at the norwegian base they find like this massive like excavation site and this is kind of like where the alien crash landed on earth and they estimate that it's been there for like 100,000 years. The Norwegians must have like awakened it. And their like scientist tells them, or biologist or whatever he is, tells them that 
if his calculations are right, this creature who seems to their only real goal seems to be to like assimilate and like take over a host and then like if their calculations are correct, this creature could assimilate and basically wipe out all of Earth in like a matter of years. That's how quickly this could happen. So after we learn that bit of information, now we sort of start to spiral out of fucking control. Because now these guys who already didn't seem like they liked each other, now they have no reason to trust one another. At any point, any of these people, like, could be the thing, right? And so, this is one thing that I love about this movie that I think the 2011 movie sucks at, which is, like, I don't know if you could ever really track, like, who is the thing and when it leaves from, like, one person to another. I mean, I'm if you were watching, like, very, very close, I'm, I'm sure that it's possible. But it also seems like the thing has a plan, right? The thing has a purpose, it has something that it wants to do, and it is kind of, like, using these men to do that. Obviously, what this thing wants to do is to escape and to get to a bigger civilization so that it can continue to assimilate and, like, wipe through entire, like, entire populations of people. And so it's, it, that's kind of what its goal is here, is to get away from here into more populated areas. And so what we have, like, is, like, scenes of, like, them not being able to trust each other. They come up with a way to test to see if, like, one of them is infected or is the thing. And they're going to use, like, blood tests. And there's a really, really great scene of them, like, taking blood and holding, like, heated copper wire, like, to the blood. And if the blood, like, kind of, like, freaks out, then well, then they'll know that that's not the thing because they know already from the dogs that it's hurt by fire so Blair who like performed the autopsy and kind of gives out these calculations he kind of is the first to go like crazy he becomes like the most paranoid and he fucking like freaks out because he knows that if this thing gets out of here that society's fucking doomed so he starts to like sabotage the station he sabotages the vehicle so that no one can escape and no one will be able to get out and you know, because preventing this thing from leaving, even if it means that they all have to die, that is what's best, because then this thing can't escape. And that is such, like, a haunting fucking idea, which is, like, these men, while they kind of are in a survival of the fittest type mode, they also recognize that, like, even if they all have to die, they can't let this thing escape. And so they all have this one goal... Of making sure this thing doesn't escape. But none of them can work together. Because they are so paranoid about. You know. If the other person is the thing. And if the thing is manipulating them. And there's this big question of like. Well do they know. If they are the thing. Or does it really assimilate that perfectly. That they wouldn't even recognize that something has infiltrated their brain. And that's an interesting question to throw around. And kind of like think about. And like bat back and forth. But at the end of the day it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they know that they are the thing. Because like. The fact that you are even asking the question of am I the thing is the point. The point is that you don't know if you have been taken over. You don't know if the person that you are relying on to do X or if the person that needs to be in charge of doing Y can even be counted on because you don't know if they are the thing. That is the paranoia that sets in. That is the sense of dread that like lingers over every fucking scene in this movie after, we're, after this one where we figure it out. 
and like this movie is so devoid of color and you know there's a lot of just like fucking white and gray and black and apparently like John Carpenter wanted to shoot the movie in black and white but Universal said no and so when we get these moments like of extreme gore and we get the thing like kind of transforming that's where we get like all the splashes of color in the movie and all of those scenes are fucking phenomenal right I love how John Carpenter directs this movie I love the look I love the style I love how they it it, it very much has the same kind of feel as like it follows where they shot an anamorphic, they used wide lenses, like you could get entire rooms in a frame, and then that leaves the mind to just like scan the frame and like try to figure out where the thing like might be coming from, like where the thread is. And that's wonderful. Like the movie relies heavily on these very wide shots of these guys just like performing tasks and of like just a bunch of men in a room together. Even if they're just talking, like there's tension and there's ambiguity and all of this shit that just works so well for the movie for the tone for the pace like for a movie that's an hour and 50 minutes i think it feels like 45 minutes like it just breezes by and it is so it is truly like it is john carpenter at his best it is john carpenter at his like sharpest and that's probably because you know he has he has like world class acting talent. He has a cinematographer. He has a composer. You know, he had a writer for the movie. Like, he could truly just focus on how to tell this story best without having to wear like eight different hats, like he did on Halloween or like he did on Assault in Precinct 13 or The Fog. Like, he has so much time on his hands because he doesn't have to do all of these other things to really just focus on how do I convey this the best. And I think he knocks it out of the park. I think he is a phenomenal visual storyteller and knows when to just leave the scene in a wide so that you can just like soak it all in and be like looking at everything and trying to see if there's something that you need to be picking up on. Like it is a movie that challenges you and dares you to be engaged fully with every scene. There's not an ounce of fat on this movie. And it is just so fucking well done. And it, you are truly, like, you feel that, like, an hour into the movie when they lock Blair up, right, because he's gone mad and destroyed everything, you truly feel like you are in the hands of a master craftsman. And that is why I don't understand how this movie could ever just be chalked up to, well, the effects are cool. Like, yeah. The effects are fucking incredible, and it is an amazing feature to this movie. But you are also in the hands of a master storyteller who is carefully, carefully, and fucking genius like at laying out information for you to get when you need to get it. And like I said, like I'm not trying to go like super in-depth on this movie because we are doing that full commentary that I want you to check out, but like... <sighs> It is, it is a perfect fucking movie. There is not a single thing here that I can say I don't like or that I can say I wish they had done this instead. Like, this is John Carpenter at his best. This is probably his best movie. It's not my favorite movie that he's done. But it is 
it is a fucking sight. And it is just, I love this movie so much. And I wish that, like, I just, I wish I could go back to 1982, see this in a theater. I wish I could understand how anyone could watch this and not love it. I just, I think that it is perfect. And, you know, like, I know that there's a, like, reboot or whatever in the works at Blumhouse. There's very few movies that I would say, just leave it alone. This is one of them. This movie, The Exorcist, probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, just leave it alone. We don't need anything else. We will always have this one. And this is just so timely and so perfect. And it is one of the best fucking movies to ever be made. From here, the movie kind of plays out of like a paranoid, not necessarily fever dream, but like a just a paranoid group of men trying to figure out who they can trust, who they can't. The thing kind of taking over some wonderful fucking effects that like, okay, this is this is fucking crazy. Rob Bottin was 22 when he was doing the effects for this movie. He studied under Rick Baker, and that is like he that's three years younger than I am. I'm 25 years old. I'm sitting in front of a camera and talking about how fucking great this movie is. Where three years earlier, Rob Bottin was fucking doing some of the best effects that we will ever see on screen. Period. What kind of asshole am I where I'm just talking about a movie and at 22, this motherfucker was making groundbreaking effects. Effects that would be looked at and studied and dissected frame by fucking frame for 40 years to come. That's crazy. And so, you know, basically the men kind of start like getting picked off one by one by the thing. <laughs> And McGreedy basically like realizes that if he if the thing kills everyone, right, it won't have anyone left to assimilate into. And so he kind of thinks that well this thing's just gonna go back into hibernation and they're gonna wait for a rescue team to come and then they'll take over that and then they will get to where they need to go. More populated areas. And so he has this plan to blow it up with dynamite. And so Childs has kind of, uh, like, disappeared for a while. Like, he goes to check on Blair. He finds that Blair has uh, kind of, like, tried to construct some kind of, like, spaceship out of helicopter parts, obviously under, like, possession of the thing. But basically, what is important to note is that Childs and McGreedy are not near each other. They have no idea what the other one is doing. And so... When McGreedy blows up this entire camp, right? He's got a bottle of scotch. Everything is up in flames around him. And Childs comes. And we get this great, wonderful fucking scene of the two of them sitting. Neither of them know if the other one is the thing. Neither of them know if they are the thing. And we're still left in this place of, I don't know if I can trust you. And you don't know if you can trust me. And they just, like, share a swigs off this bottle of whiskey or this bottle of scotch. And they basically, we are left to assume that they're just going to wait and die. And, you know, one of them will die. 
And one of them is the thing, most likely. And we we never know which one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a perfect fucking ending. I I know they shot endings that were like happier, where McGree lives and gets away. And I don't think I want to see that. I think I like not knowing. I like the ambiguity of... I... It could be any of one. Like, it could be you, it could be me, and I don't know. I don't know, and that's what sucks. But we do know that we saved civilization, right? Or at least we can assume that they did because they blew up any ways of, like, getting out of there. And so they know that they succeeded, but they also know that that means that they're going to die. And they gave their life to make sure this thing doesn't escape. And it is just one of those movies where I don't need definitive answers. And I I can understand why that's frustrating for people, right? Like, I can understand why you get to the end of this and you're like, wait, we don't know if they, like, lived or not? We don't know if the thing is destroyed? Like, no. No, you don't. And I I get why that's frustrating. But at the same time, like, I, I can't imagine this movie working any other way other than just not knowing and having to live with that because now like now you just get to have discussions like that is that is also like one of the great things about this movie is that it sparks discussion everyone that's seen it has their own ideas of like what happens and it's just the perfect movie to just sit and kind of try and dissect and digest and just fucking see what you can come up with like i i believe i don't think john carpenter has ever given a definitive like one way or another if either of them are the thing, like this isn't like, it's funny that this comes out like the same weekend as Blade Runner because there's always been that kind of like debate of is Deckard a Deckard a replicant or not, and obviously Harrison Ford's been like no, he's not, but I mean you can still you can have that discussion, but at the end of the day like it doesn't matter. The fact that you are asking the question is the point, and I think that this is a perfect ending to a perfect movie. And I fucking love this movie. And if you watched it, if you love it, please join us on the commentary track that comes out. I mean, it'll just be more of me gushing over the movie and telling you how much I love it. But I I think that that will be a lot of fun. And so this is kind of like... This is probably going to be one of the only times that we talk about a movie on this show where I'm not like oh, well, they could have done this or whatever. Like, oh, I didn't really like this. There's nothing about the thing that I don't love. And I think it is a perfect movie through and through. And honestly, I want to watch it again. I could watch it right now. I could watch that movie every day. That's how great it is. And there's very few movies like that out there. So now we go from a movie that I can never, like, wait long enough to rewatch and that I want to watch all the time to a movie that I can't fucking stand. And it's one thing, like, I don't think that the thing from 2011, uh, directed by some Dutch guy, um, I don't think, like, I don't think that this is like a bad, like, if you take it out of the Thing franchise, right? 
or sorry, if you if you just remove the title of the thing, like I guess the thing doesn't really have a franchise, but if you just remove that title and you make it something different, I think that it would be fine. It would be a fine movie, right? But given all of the things that they said they were setting out to do, that they like that the movie wants you to think that it exists as a prequel to this thing and that it's not a remake, but I think it's very just like it's very much a remake. Like besides the fact that some of the cast is Norwegian, like there's not much about this Norwegian camp or there's not much about this story that feels any different than the original film. And I think that's probably the most disappointing thing, which is that they say that it's a prequel, but then they follow like basically the same plot beats as John Carpenter's The Thing. And I don't see how that's a prequel. I don't see... There's there's like a few scenes in this, and there's a couple ideas that I really love. But other than that, I think the movie is boring. I think the movie is generic. I think it looks terrible. And I think it is basically just remaking the thing but calling it a prequel so that you don't get the hate of like don't remake that movie the movie's like perfect don't remake it don't touch it and I'm not I'm not in that crowd I would never be that vocal about like you're not allowed to remake the thing like I don't I mean I don't care like I don't think that you should I don't think the thing is a movie that is like begging to be remade and I, I I've seen this take online right I've seen people, like, I've seen articles about kind of how in tune John Carpenter is about certain things without really, like, meaning to be, and how the thing from 1982 is, like, a perfect kind of, like, metaphor and companion piece, like, to the AIDS epidemic that would take place in the 80s. And yeah, like, obviously, I don't think John Carpenter set out to do that. I don't think that was done intentionally. But can you make those parallels? You absolutely can. And you know what I don't want to see? I don't want to see the thing become a COVID movie. I don't want to see a movie that is a reboot of the thing where the thing that is like killing people is a metaphor for COVID. And the most recent pandemic. I think that's lazy. I think that's uninteresting. And I, I'm very, very afraid that that is the path that we are going. Right? I just, I don't, I don't want to see that. No part of me wants to see that movie. And, you know, that you could say, like, if you want to draw that parallel to John Carpenter's a thing in the AIDS epidemic, you can. And I think, yeah, that's an interesting read of the movie. And if you want to see it, the original film, like, from the 50s, as, like, a Cold War movie, afraid of the Russians, everyone's a communist, like, sure, I could see that. But I don't, I don't want to see this as a COVID movie. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so The Thing from 2011, it stars Joel Edgerton and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, which I thought was interesting uh, because 
it takes place at a Norwegian base, but we got to have Americans there for some reason. That's not very well explained or necessary. I guess we know why she's there. I, I don't think we really know why he's there. Uh, anyways, um, so apparently after the success of the Dawn of the Dead remake, which was directed by Zack Snyder, the producers were kind of like mining through some of Universal's properties and they discovered like, oh yeah, like the thing. And hold on, I can get the exact quote for you. Because the producers of this movie stated, I'd be the first one to say no one should ever try to do Jaws again. And I certainly wouldn't want to see anyone remake The Exorcist. And we really felt the same way about The Thing. It's a great film. But once we realized there was a new story to tell with the same characters in the same world, but from a different point of view, we took it as a challenge. It's the story about the guys who are just ghosts in Carpenter's movie. They're already dead, but having Universal give us a chance to tell their story was irresistible. Okay. And... One of them said, I'd be the first, oh, sorry. The f one of them also said that they felt like remaking Carpenter's film would be like painting a mustache on the Mona Lisa. Well, that's basically what you fucking did. This movie is without a doubt just a fucking remake that they called a prequel. And they put some Norwegian people in it. A Dutch guy directed it. And they were like, no, 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 this is the story about the Norwegians. It just has the exact same plot points as John Carpenter's movie, but it's not John Carpenter's movie. This is our own movie. And I'll be the first one to say, I'm not, like, against the idea of telling the story of the Norwegians, but I think if you're going to do it, like, it's it's got to be different enough from John Carpenter's movie. It can't have the exact same kind of plot structure. And the most infuriating thing about the thing from 2011 is that in the drunk heart, like, they just, they fundamentally, like, don't understand what the thing, like, is. And they just change what it is to fit what they're trying to do. Because in that original film, it is calculated. It knows what it's trying to do. It has a goal. It has some place it needs to get. And this movie, it is just, it, this is just basically like a monster movie. Which is what I'm saying. Like, if the thing wasn't attached to this, I think it would be fine. Like, I wouldn't, like, love it. But I still think it would be, like, a decent enough movie. Yeah, maybe it's kind of fun. But, you know, it's not a great, like, prequel to The Thing. Because in this, like, there's no rhyme or reason why it does anything. And it mutates, like, kind of as an effect showcase. But the effects look like absolute fucking shit. And that's what I referenced, like, earlier. Which is that the effects company, like, they were pissed at Universal because they did, they went through the work to do, like, all of these practical effects. And Universal, like, just CG'd over all of it. They CG'd over all of it. And the effects company, like, put some of their stuff, like, on YouTube. And I'll play, like, some of that here because it really is, like, there's some great effects work done on this. And if they had just left all the practical stuff... This would be the movie that, like, that everyone is saying the thing was in 1982. Like, they, it would be said about this, where, yeah, the movie kind of sucks, but the effects are really cool. And that's enough. Like, that's enough. That can get you through the movie. If, if, they, if they had just left the practical effects in there, I think that this would just be 
a decent monster movie. But instead, it is a bad prequel that has terrible fucking effects. Right? So, like, the movie opens with these Norwegian guys. They're driving to Antarctica. And they're chasing some kind of signal. So, obviously, the Norwegians know that something's here. And they're looking for it. And they, like, fall into the ice. And they find the big ship, right? And we cut to Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's doing something. Some guy comes to her and is like, hey, we got this exciting thing you're going to want to check out, but you got to leave with us right now. So obviously she takes that chance, right? And she goes and she sees. And so they find this thing in the ice. They go. They, like, excavate it. They do the autopsy. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Like, it, it, <laughs> it is beat for fucking beat. Like, the original movie. And so they find, like, oh, this thing, this alien thing that we found, like, copies DNA. Wow, that's so crazy. I, I guess, like, the one thing that I don't hate about this movie, like, they are trying, like, very hard to make Mary Elizabeth Winstead, like, the female Kurt Russell. And I'm, I'm kind of, like, okay with that. And I think if you're going to do, like, a remake, a reboot whatever I wouldn't mind like I wouldn't mind just like doing some role reversal like make it a female like whatever like that's kind of interesting I guess um yeah like I think that would be fine but I don't think that you should make a prequel and then just do the exact same fucking thing so they find out that you know, this alien thing can replicate DNA, and then, like, the thing breaks loose, and this one guy sees it, we get this fucking, like, alien thing, like, shoot up through the floor, and it looks terrible, and guess what? They kill it with a flamethrower, because it has a weakness to fire, almost the exact same way the child's, like, burns the dog in the original movie, like, <sighs> There's way, way, way too many, like, similarities. And, like, again, just do something, like, original. Do something unique, right? Like, you you claim, the producers claim that they just had a story that they just, like, couldn't help but tell with this Norwegian crew. So tell it. Like, tell us something that, like, give us enough information about these people, right? To, like, to make it worthwhile. To make it interesting. Like, really really set up, like, the world that this is taking place in. In, like, the original movie, all they do is refer to it as a thing. And in this movie, they seem to do... They seem to call it everything but. Like, they don't want to call it that for some reason. They call it, like, the alien, the species. Like, everything but the thing. Like, they try to just get around saying that. Just just explore that more. Like, if you if you want to do a prequel, which, you know, I think is, like terrible fucking trend and I, I don't I hate it I hate prequels that literally just exist to explain like good like <laughs> okay I I hate the idea of a prequel to the thing because I think we know just enough about that I think we we, we, we learn just enough about the thing in that movie for that movie to work I don't need an entire movie of you explaining it to me. I don't need 
there's just there just doesn't feel like there's anything here. And like that kind of it seems like they have to repeat the same structure of the original movie because there just there is no other story to tell with this idea. Like it is an idea that works for a movie and you just move on. Like there doesn't there's no bigger world here, right? Unless you're just going to do like a sci-fi movie like with the alien. But like other than that, like what else can you do? You're stranded, you're alone. Like you can try to recreate the magic of the original and you're just not going to. And this movie really tries to like make it about the character thing, but like it doesn't do it well enough. It doesn't spend enough time with any of them to really build the paranoia. It really is just like a monster movie. And when the thing like is attached to someone, it just starts transforming out of nowhere. Like there is a scene where Mary Elizabeth Winstead is with like another girl and they're like alone and they're kind of like discussing what they should do. And the thing just like starts transforming and like attacks her. And like, that is not what the thing would do. And like the thing has this, like is it wants to escape to get to civilization and it literally has a chance to, it's on a fucking helicopter. The guy's on a helicopter. That is the thing. And instead he transforms and like kills the people on the helicopter and the helicopter crashes. Like, why the fuck would it do that, right? Like, we have this original movie that kind of lays out some things. And this movie goes against that. It, it goes against, like, the very nature of this thing that we established. We know it wants to get out, right? Like, I think the thing would sacrifice killing these, like, six people if it knew that it was on a helicopter and was leaving to a bigger civilization, right? Like, why the fuck would it do that? Not to mention, like, the effect of the guy... Like sitting there and his face splits. It looks like fucking garbage. It looks so bad. And that again, like it's not it's not the filmmaker's fault. Like they they worked. Universal just fucked this movie up. And they didn't have I don't believe they had a strong enough reason, a strong enough story to do this movie. I just this movie it wants to have the same, like, set of paranoia. It wants to have... It wants to have the same paranoid feeling. It wants to have the same, like, sense of dread. But it just... It it just it relies too heavily on the monster aspect to the thing and making it kind of just like a monster movie rather than making it, like, a paranoid thriller or, like, a movie that is just atmosphere heavy right that is where the that is like the very crucial mistake that this movie makes that's why it sucks if you take the name of the thing off just call it something else maybe it's a decent movie right i mean it's just a monster movie but you don't have that expectation of well this is a prequel to the thing and so i think removing that only helps the movie because then I don't have like these inconsistencies between the movies and how the thing would act. Now it's just a monster movie that maybe you could have some fun with. But as it stands, like as a prequel, it sucks. They know that the alien can like replicate DNA, but it's only after this helicopter crash, uh, these people think that like, hey, we should go to the next base, and kind of Kate and this other girl are kind of like. Uh, no, like, we, we should stay here because, you know, I think that this could replicate 
DNA perfectly to like mimic another person. And she finds this like all these all this blood in the shower with like teeth fillings. And that is actually an aspect to this movie that I like, which is that uh which is like the thing can only replicate like organic matter. And because like tooth fillings are inorganic, it can't replicate them. And so like when it transforms it like leaves those like behind. And I like that. Like that becomes like a, a thing throughout the movie where like they're like checking people's like teeth to see if they have feelings. Which is very fucking bizarre, right? Because what if you didn't have feelings? What if you just have regular teeth? Like you would have to establish that everyone there has feelings to begin with for this to be like a reasonable way to identify if you if someone is taken over by the thing or not. But like whatever. Like I can I can forgive that like they're trying to be creative. But this is when like you know, they kind of have this discussion. They leave like Kate is left alone with this girl, and this girl just starts like mutating, like for no fucking reason. No fucking reason. There's no reason for the thing to mutate in this moment, right? Like I feel like in the original film it mutates like when it is threatened. Or, like, when it is changing form. And there's no reason for this thing to feel threatened in this moment. It could use her body as a host to just kill her right then and there. Like, there, there's just nothing that indicates that this that it would change. That it should be changing. Like, it is ridiculous. And that, like, this happens throughout the entire movie. Where it is just constantly changing shape. And, like, becoming a monster for no other reason. Like, no story reason. Just so that... They can have a kill. They can have a monster effect. Boom. There's your movie. That's all the thing is, right? It's just monster effects. Like this mo- It feels like a movie that was made by someone who read those original reviews and is like, yeah, you know what? That movie does suck, but the effects are really good. So we're going to make a movie that with like really good effects that it's just better than that. It's better than that movie. And it's just... After that scene, I'm kind of out. Because, like, after that, the movie just becomes, like, a carbon copy of the original, pretty much, of a who's who, like, who's the thing, like, and th- this is the thing, this is, this is the thing about the thing. In the original film, the intrigue, like, the mystery of who could it be, like, that's what keeps you, like, going, and, like, will they succeed, and will, who is, who has been taken over, Right? And in this movie, like, they do such a terrible job of setting up that intrigue of, like, making you invested in who could be the thing and who, like, is not, like, that, like, by the time we even introduce that this thing changes the shape into another person, I quite simply, like, don't give a fuck. I don't care. And so the movie basically just, like, they just start killing people with a flamethrower. And... That's pretty much the movie. And then in the end credit scene, we get like what we wanted the entire movie, which is the, uh, this other crew shows up and the guy comes out and is like trying to like check his feelings. Again, what if this motherfucker doesn't have feelings? Like I feel they're European. Right? They live in these Scandinavian countries. They have much better dental insurance than here in the United States. So obviously the fucking Americans would come up with the idea of checking someone's dental, like, records. 
they have nice dentists over there. They actually, like, care for their citizens. So, yeah, they're going to have nice teeth. They're not going to have feelings. It's so stupid. But I appreciate the attempt at being creative. And so then, out of nowhere, like, this dog runs out and, like, starts running through the snow. And that's when they know, like, ah, oh, the thing is that dog. And so they're like, chase that dog. And then that's basically the scene that you're waiting for the entire movie. The entire movie is just you waiting for the scene. It's like, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Where is it? And I... I like that scene. It's intercut with credits, which is fucking annoying. But I like that scene. That is the best scene of the movie. Everything else, I could leave. And I mean... I know this movie, like, did horribly. I don't think it was very well liked. I just... It it doesn't really know, like, if it wants to lean into the human stuff or if it wants to just be a monster movie. Because it can't be both, right? It just... It can't be both. And if you're leaning too heavy into one, you're sacrificing the other. And I think... I think for this movie to have, like, tremendous success, they should have just not titled it The Thing. I think they should have just realized at the end that, like, this isn't a very good prequel, so we're just going to take the name The Thing off of it, and it's just going to be, like, a monster movie. It's just going to be an alien movie, body snatcher type movie. And I think it would have been a lot better. I think, like, I think because The Thing is one of those movies, I think people are going to hate this, like, no matter what. Like, this could have been a great movie, and I think people would still be like, no, fuck you, it's not better than the original. And, like, whatever. It doesn't have to be. But I just... The thing just seems like one of those movies that you should just kind of leave alone. Because I don't think there's a way for you to make people happy with a sequel or a reboot or a prequel. I mean, the original movie is perfect, and you should leave it alone for that reason. But if you were looking for, like, a fucking universal executive reason to leave the movie alone, it's that you're never going to satisfy people with it. And so, I mean, Blumhouse really hasn't learned their lesson because they're making another Halloween movie, and, I mean, I think those movies are pretty divisive for people. I think Halloween is another one of those franchises that people are like, just leave it alone. And they keep making those. But I mean, if they had just left the practical effects, not called it the thing, and just released a monster movie, an alien monster movie, I think we're having a much different discussion. I think they would say, like, they would draw comparisons, and they'd be like, hey, this is kind of like this. But I don't think it would be as heavily scrutinized. And I don't think, like, I think because it's being compared to that 1982 film, that's part of the reason why it fails. and I, But I mean, like... And I know that I just spent, like, 30 minutes telling you that it sucks because it doesn't compare to that original film and it doesn't add anything to that universe and you shouldn't be adding anything to that universe because I don't need to know anything about that universe. But at the same time, like, they set themselves up for that by calling it that. So, like, there's very there's very big inconsistencies between the two movies and one is supposed to lead into the other. And that just it just isn't gonna fucking happen. Like that 1982 movie, if it was the thing, the actual alien species from the 2011 movie, in the 1982 movie, that is a wildly different movie. It is a schlocky monster movie, which is what this should have been. 
But no. We don't get those kind of movies anymore. And so, I guess time will tell what this remake is going to be. Uh, I'm not looking forward to it. But hey, we're not here for that. We're here to celebrate the 40th birthday for John Carpenter's classic movie. So, happy birthday, The Thing. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. If you're watching this, be sure to like the video, share the video with your friends, subscribe to the channel. Let us know down in the comments, like, do you like the 2011 thing? Do you like the original thing? If you don't like it, let me know. Let me know either way. Just what are your thoughts? Are people too harsh on the 2011 movie? I'd love to know. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever, leave us a rating, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And then send us an email at sorrelsonfilm at gmail.com and just like, give me your thoughts. Leave a comment on the show. Like, I would love to know what people think. And you know, that's all I have for you today. So thank you for being here. Uh, be sure to check out the commentary track for the 1982 The Thing. And next week, I don't believe there will be a regular episode. There might be. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but there will definitely be our first mini-sode dropping next week. So stay tuned for that. And as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we'll see you at the drive-in.